Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. So, Kate Toon, I am very, very excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats podcast because I loved having you on the show. Ah, it's lovely to be here. It was thrilling to be on the show. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, it's lovely to see you as well. Okay, so my first question for you is, it's all about you today, and I just want you to tell me um, what it is that you do first. Let's start with that, because I know there's lots of things you do. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a short, short answer. Well, look, it's... it's I always think it's people like to define people as job titles. And I find that a real struggle because I guess you would call me an entrepreneur, but I find that job title a little bit uncomfortable. Do you? Why? Because I think it, it smacks of uh, a certain type of stereotype, you know, the kind of dude lying on his Porsche talking about how much money he's made and six figure, well now eight figure schemes. Wow. And all of that. Got a bit of a negative connotation. So I like to call myself a misfit entrepreneur. Um, but really I think I'm a serial a serial business founder so I have three different businesses one is the clever copywriting school where I teach copywriters how to have successful but also enjoyable copywriting careers and the recipe for SEO success where I teach small business owners and e-commerce store owners and marketeers how to grapple Google and get more traffic and conversions through courses and podcasts and things and then more recently uh, I've kind of resurrected my own brand katetoon.com and through that I'm uh, mentoring people in digital marketing and helping them use digital marketing to grow their business, whether it's a storefront, service-based or e-commerce. So, yeah. Amazing. You're a busy woman. Well, I've signed up for your branding one. I haven't had a chance to listen, but I'm going to, and I've signed up my staff for your SEO one. So there you go. It's all working. So let me just take you right the way back now to when you left school. I guess you probably didn't think when I grow up, I want to be a misfit entrepreneur in Australia. So do you want to tell us what that journey is at your leisure and what you sort of, how it all unrolled, unraveled? I I mean, I guess when I left school, I I was I wanted to be a teacher for a little while and then I wanted to be a, a writer, a journalist. I wanted to be writing articles for magazines. Um, so I remember I, you know, at 16 would sneak off to gigs in, in my local town of Reading and then write music reviews for the local paper. And, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write for NME or be the editor. Of, I was voted girl most likely to edit smash hits when I left school. So that was my dream. Oh, um, my God. You would have been great at that I too, I bet. I would have loved it. I know. I went off to university, did very unuseful degree in English literature, history, and philosophy. So I can name every Roman emperor and quote, <laughs> quote John Donne, which hasn't been vocationally that useful. But obviously going to university was more about going to university you know yeah so I was all the a, fun all the fun I was a DJ on on the radio there I had a show called Cape Tune in the afternoon which I think is quite inspired <laughs> your name just lends itself to it so many great so things it does and um I was editor of the paper it was the Leeds University so I had a very good paper and I was features editor which was fantastic I got to interview bands like Pulp and Blur and I'm um, Bob Monkhouse and and you know lots of English celebs yeah. and it was fantastic. I loved it. And then after university, I was accepted onto um, a very prestigious course, magazine journalism course at London University. But I just wrapped up too much debt. And my parents are very northern. 
and very principled and they weren't willing to give me any money or lend me any money to do the course. So I missed out on my spot. They only took 10 people. Oh, and all the other no. people who went on are now like editor of the Observer and, and foreign correspondent for this, that, and the other, and I'm not. So oh. that, was a, that was a huge fork for me and a huge, you know, I often think what, what would have happened if I'd have gone down that path. But well, who knows? But looking at what's happened to journalism over the last few years, maybe you chose the right path. Well, exactly. I think the roads would have converged again because a lot yeah, of the members yeah. of my copywriting school are now ex-journalists. So instead, I worked, I got a job in, in I moved back down to London. I had very silly jobs, but I won't go into those. I uh, got a job <laughs> in London working in events. And when I was working for, in events, one of the events said, hey, we should get one of these newfangled things. They're, they're called websites. We should have a website for our event. <laughs> I remember this, those days. Yeah, this is pretty. When everyone email. went, do we really need one? Yeah, I don't know whether people, we really need one. People are still saying that now, to be honest, Jules. But <laughs> this is pre- the days when we didn't have email and we would pass an envelope with a memo around the office in a, in a, and, and you'd sign your name on the envelope. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> So I, I helped build that website and then um, because I was like, this is really exciting, I went and got a job at an agency pretending I knew everything about websites. I'd built one, I knew nothing and was immediately <laughs> given the job of producing the new Marks and Spencer's e-commerce website. No, you are not serious. Yeah, which was the first ever e-commerce website in the UK. And, we had, and, and also your first website ever, I had, really. I didn't even know what a browser was. I remember asking that in a meeting <laughs> and my boss looking at me with absolute horror. Oh. So how do you blag your way through that for the first bit while you're doing your massive learning curve? I think, you know, the youth, being a youth and just having that positivity, but honestly, it was really stressful and it was a big lesson because I remember after I'd been there for about six months, they offered to promote me and I actually said to my boss, I don't want to be promoted. I want to stay in this role for another six months because I want to feel confident. And he really respected that and it was, you know, he was like really impressed with that. So in the end, it all worked out well, but yeah, it was a big lesson in, in not, walking before you can talk you know or talking the walk or whatever the expression is because it was just horribly stressful and I felt like such a charlatan and you know imposter syndrome gets us even when we know what we're talking about but if you don't know what you're talking about it's terrible you know so how did it end up? Did you actually finish it? Did it go live? Yeah, like we had to launch it on the BT intranet because BT was such a large company. They had 70,000 employees on an intranet. So we could kind of create a fake internet experience, test out how people put, because no one had bought things online. Where do they click? No. Should, we, should we call the, the buy button buy or should we call it shop? Should we have a cart or a basket? It was all... It, it's amazing to me that Marks and Spencers was that advanced actually because they, do, they, don't, they are an amazing in, English institution but when you look at, say, in Australia, where probably in the last five years there's been a half-hearted attempt by some of the bigger department stores to do something, to think that they did that then is incredible. Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, you know the UK, they are a hugely prestigious brand in the UK, very yes. loved, almost like an institution. So, you know, yeah, it was exciting times. I felt like a bit of a pioneer. Worked there for a couple of years, then moved back to Australia and, you know, worked in various agencies. And I so got so a, what brought you to Australia? Backpacking. So I went backpacking oh, really? with my friend around Thailand. And after two weeks, she fell in love with a Thai fisherman called Bang. And of, course, of course she did. <laughs> of course she did. And ran off and left me. Now, I'd never travelled outside England. I'd only been, I think the furthest I'd been was Jersey. And I'd had a school holiday to Germany. I was Bloody not... Hell. I was not a woman of the world, put it that way. Right. And so I ran out of money within about two weeks, landed in Australia and went for my first job. Uh, and it just happened to be at Ogilvy. And um, I was lucky enough to get the job of head of digital at Ogilvy. So how did you do that as an English? Did they, did they sponsor you? 
Well, back then I had a working visa, so they took me okay. on as, as, a, as a, you know, and again, they, you know, because I'd worked on Marks and Spencer's, they thought I was hugely talented. And over the next few years, we I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I gradually got demoted from like head of digital to exec producer to producer. It was quite funny. Anyway, um, worked there, worked on lots of big brands like Amex and Telstra and ING. Again, doing quite pioneering work, um, you know, won an, won an award back then for online advertising doing ads for netbank when netbank launched you know and people were trying to explain to people what online banking was you know um (laughs) the the concept of going to a bank that didn't have a store in those days was just so out there crazy you know like coming up with really cliched lines like get online instead of standing in line (laughs) wow that's oh you were good oh i was um and when I was there working as a producer, so managing developers and copywriters and working with account managers, I really wanted to be a creative. Like I still wanted to write. So I took a 70% pay cut and became a copywriter. Wow. Um, and worked as a copywriter for a couple of years. Then I moved back to the UK and got a job as a copywriter for Microsoft. And then... And by then, copywriting's in your blood? Really Not really. It. No, I didn't. No. And it's just, it was really badly paid. And... Um, it's hard writing copy in an agency because there's really not much room for inspiration. You have to pump it out. Yeah. Um, So I actually then left there and went and worked as uh, email marketing manager for O2, which is a big telco brand. Came back again. Worked at various Oh, you couldn't stay away, could you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I moved to Australia on a whim. I got uh, sponsored and then, um, you know, went back to the UK. I guess I kind of was like, have I made a mistake? You know, should right. where should I live? Because it's like Narnia. Going to Australia is like going to Narnia. And when you come back from Narnia, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Like the concept yeah. of Australia in Europe is very sketchy. Like we still, yes, yes. It's, not a, it's not a real place, you know. And you get back to England and no one's really been there. No one really wants to hear all your stories. And it, very quickly, it's like, did that even happen? So I right. got back to England within a, a couple of weeks. was like, what the hell have I done? Um, it took me about a year and a half to get back because I'd wrapped up a lot of debt. That's a consistent story in my life debt money um which is interesting with considering where i am now so then went back again took a boyfriend in tow who uh, ultimately became my my husband traveled through asia cycled from uh bang uh phuket to bangkok worked in a gibbon camp uh spent a few months in a thai kickboxing camp as well which- wow so how long were you in thailand for a good four or five months that's fantastic i, I did nine weeks lying on the beach in Koh Samet once oh, oh very nice I said I want to go and lie on a beach long enough to get bored. Wow. I, I mean, I love Thailand. We, we, the cycling through Thailand is one of the best and most amazing things I've ever done. Just going yeah, to right. bits where, you know, they'd never seen a phalang, as they call us. Yes. You know? Well, they'd not never seen them, but we were a rare thing. And it was fantastic. Then came to Australia, got various agency jobs, but really was beginning to hate agency life. I got a very senior job in one agency where I was on the board and I had shares and I hated it so much. It's very energy sapping, isn't it? It either it feeds you when you're younger and then it just starts to wear you down. It really does. I just hate the whole agency culture and I never felt quite like I fitted in. You know, I, I wasn't glam a lot of the girls in the agency are very glamorous and I was scruffy as and and then I, you know, I got a, a contracting job, quite a high rate contracting job and managed to get down to like a four day week. I didn't right. do anything constructive on the other day, but I was, you know, 
And then thanks, thankfully, you know, I really wanted to jump ship. I was very unhappy. My husband had started his own business uh, teaching French, had a few clients. And then I got up the duff, which was a surprise because <laughs> I didn't think I was able to get up the duff. Oh, right. Yeah, we'd gone down the path of realizing we were like the world's most infertile couple. Um, but then we got a dog and I think he's kind of a fertility dog because a couple of other people have touched him and got pregnant. So don't touch my dog. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it now. No, not now. Good Lord. Um, yeah. So uh, I was five months pregnant. I was contracting. There was going to be no maternity leave or anything like that. How long ago is this? Like 10 years ago? My roughly? son is now 11. Yeah, okay. He's 11. And um, didn't have any family over here. We're living in rented accommodation. My husband had two students. So I gave up my job at five months pregnant, created a little blog site on WordPress called katetoon.com and started mm. my business. And how did you think you were going to make money out of your blog? Well, it wasn't, a, it was a blog site, but it was a WordPress site. And, you know, back then WordPress was primarily for blogging. I was just going to do anything. And I did when I started, I did a bit of graphic design and I still have to apologize to anybody who's graphic designer. <laughs> Um, I did, I built websites, so I built a few websites, you know, and I was charging like $400, you know, to build a website because I just needed money. Yeah. And, and then I got a few solid information architecture projects, which is like mapping out sites and did a few functional specifications and they were quite big money. And, um, I did a bit of what I've always done, which is being a bit of a pimp, a bit of a connector. So yeah. I, was, I knew fair amount of people. So I was able to say, Oh, look, you should work with this person. And you know, got referral, a few referral fees from that, like 10% referral fees. And that got me right. the first year. Then I really niched down into, this is a long story, niched down into coffee. No, it's good. I'm waiting for a light bulb moment when you just suddenly went, right, this is what I love or this is what I'm going to do. So keep going. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's an interesting question because there's, there's not been very many epiphanies it's all been a slow iteration so I did copywriting for a couple of years niche down into SEO copywriting um was earning really good money you know like as much as I could my son's three four I've only got like 20 hours a week to earn money and I you know I was doing well um, and it was as much as I was ever going to get you know um but also after four or five years of doing that it was like this is this is what I'm doing I'm a bit bored (laughs) for the rest of my life yeah so then I sort of decided a lot of people would always ask me about my templates because I made a lot of templates for things when I was in agency land and I used them as a copywriter so I had a copy deck template and a press release template and a a video script template and so people would ask me for them and and also again I was always a bit of a pimp so I created a little group on Google plus as it was then and invited 20 copywriters to join and we all helped each other and I shared my templates and then I thought I could charge for these. Yeah. I created a little website called the clever copywriting school, which was planned to be a community. And I put one template live, which was a copy deck template. I think I was selling it for like $7 and that was my first passive income product. And there is something awesome about making something once and then hearing the PayPal ping. And it is it's not free money because you still have to have the site, you have to host, you have to market. Of it course. It feels like free money. It feels- well, it's when, it's when you're sitting having drinks with friends on a Saturday and you look at your phone and you go, oh, just earned like $1,000 while I was chatting with you. That's, that's, that's exactly it. It seemed to happen to me a lot when I was like, you know, those days, young mum, always in Kmart, debating whether to buy X or Y. And just as I was about to buy it, something would ping through <laughs> the exact price of the thing I was about to buy. And I was like, the gods have told me. Yes, they know. They know. 
so then you know that was about five years ago maybe six and it took a couple of years for those to get going really the pivot was I hate the word pivot but it makes sense when my son went to school yeah not that there was really any much more time but it's just such a mindset shift you're through the nappies you're through the you know someone else's responsibility for six hours a day and you I could I was able to completely switch off and be like he's there he's fine he loves it yeah I can focus. And that was when I really, and then I launched the recipe for SEO success and then everything else has just grown from there, but very iteratively, like I've not gone right. This year is the year of blah. I've just right. developed things slowly. You know, I built a big course and I managed to sell that to maybe 20 people when I launched it. But then I was like, who do I sell it to next? Oh, I should create a lead magnet. I should create a mini course, a free course, a cheap course. I should launch a podcast. And it's all just happened because I'm not one to read business books. I've never had a mentor or a coach. I've never done a course. I've always just kind of gone, oh, that sounds like a good idea and given it a pop. Oh, yeah, great. That's just such a great way to do it. So now tell us a little bit more about how, you know, what the – focus is now because you've got as you said you've got the seo nibbles i think is the beginning of your lead funnel or whatever that's the free bit and then and you said to me something earlier about having two membership groups yeah so i've got you know three core businesses each with their own funnel you know and the funnels are similar you know both of my core businesses well each business has a podcast which i found super powerful in terms of building that trust and awareness um, two of my uh, businesses have a Facebook group, which again is hugely powerful. So I've got one called I Love SEO for the SEO thing, and yeah. the Misfit Entrepreneur, which is more the Kate Toon thing. Um, both have that, and so people come through via the podcast, via the Facebook group. I have lead magnets, I have an email funnel, I have free courses, and then tripwire courses, which are just you know about a hundred bucks to just get people used to buying from me. Then a big course with recipe, and then with clever copywriting and Kate soon it's more of a membership model well it is a membership model it's not more of a membership model it is a <laughs> membership model um so you know it's trying to build that authority and trust through social media and through speaking and through podcasts and through whatever and then yep. persuading people to join an ongoing recurring membership so i have two yeah, one for copywriters and one for digital marketers so yeah there's a lot yeah so so talk to me about covid and how much that has covid and bushfires i mean this year being so for anyone who's listening we're in early august i'm in melbourne in hard lockdown for the next six weeks which is going to drive me around the twist how has it affected you this year well i think you know they say that women are like tea bags you don't know how strong they are until they put you put them in hot water. <laughs> i love that expression so I think I'm a pretty strong tea bag, is what I've realised. Like hashtag tea bag. Um, <laughs> uh, I it, I actually was in a bit of a malaise, of feeling a bit lethargic about my business because I've been in growth for so long. Right. I've been trying to get to the summit, and to be honest, I've got to the summit. There's very few kind of things, pioneering things left to do. I've spoken at events internationally here. I've got podcasts. I've got books. I've got memberships. I've got courses you know of all the things you and yet you're still a young woman so what's well, I'm not next? that young I'm not yeah, you that young. are I'm you're not... a baby <laughs> oh, I wish but um you know it's and it's like I am not I am financially driven I wanted to be financially secure and, and I have some financial goals but I'm not somebody who needs Louboutins or uh, a flash yeah. car or a bigger house I'm very content and being content is not a great driver for business because usually you need a carrot 
yeah. uh, on the end of the, uh, or it just becomes continual stick. And my business had become continual stick. You know, there was no, what was I doing it for? You know, I, I, I'd love to say I have a greater purpose and, you know, I want to solve the world's problem of X, but unfortunately I'm not that elevated. You know, yeah. I just want to have a relatively nice <laughs> life. Um, I think that's really what most of us want. It is, <laughs> it is. And, and a lot of people who say they have lofty ideals don't kind of really don't get there. Too. Yeah. So COVID was a great kick up the ass for me. I, um, I doubled down. I was like, you know, I don't, I want to make sure I'm financially viable. I'm very much reliant on launches. So, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know if things were going to go well. Um, so I put extra effort into, you know, building that thing up. I set up a daily, I did a daily podcast for 30, 30 days, which was yeah. fabulous uh, and hard work. And things have gone well for me because obviously I'm quite well placed. You know, what does everyone want to do right now? They want to get online. Go online and learn. Yeah. So, you know, so far so good, but the very nature of what I do is I don't know what next month is. I don't know. It's, it's, I always find that really frustrating when you go to banks or something like that and they go, so what's your income? And I go, really couldn't tell you month from month. It just depends yeah. on what happens. Well, I'm, I've worked very hard at that. This last year was an effort to, because I used to have three launches a year and right. on those three days I would make 80%, 90% of my income. And it was right. too much stress to have all that invested. So I've really worked hard to build up the recurring income, which is why I set up the memberships. So I can forecast, look ahead and go, you know, based on retention figures, you know, you lose a couple of people, you gain yeah. a couple of people, you know, I can, I'm earning X amount per month and I can map that out. And that becomes my bread and butter. It's enabled me to build a team because I'm confident I can pay them. Yes. And, you know, it enables me to kind of get the software that I need to do a good job because I know I can afford the subscription. And then the launches are like the, the icing on the cake. You know, if they go really well, amazing. If they go, yeah. okay, great. It keeps the budget on. So I've worked hard to try and remove the roller coaster because my business you know, I've come from that, but that's very good advice for any of the women that might be listening, yeah. that try, you know, to, to try and set yourself up with some kind of a recurring subscription. It, there is a huge comfort in it. Yeah. Or even you know, if you're service-based trying to get at least one or two retainer clients so that you've got that regular money. I mean, you know, what, what we, what are, we strive to do because most of us have come from regular jobs is just try and replace your, at least your base income, your mortgage, your bills, your kids' karate lesson, and then everything else is bonus. And also, you know, one of the biggest, we talked about money and, and debt and stuff, you know, it's been a big journey for me in terms of financial awareness. I don't think I had any... Education, maybe. Education, I don't know. Education, awareness, how. understanding. I don't think I had any barriers. Like, I'm not someone who's ashamed to earn money. I'm, I'm British, so we don't really talk about it, but I am willing to talk about it. And I yeah. like talking about it. And I think women, especially, should, should talk about it yeah. more and be proud of it. But, you know, understanding that having a business, you know, once I hit like six figures, 100K, I was like, I'm going to be rich. And you're not. You know, then you hit like mid six figure, you know, and, and, and you're rich and you're not and you get higher and higher. And I think so many and I do think it's more women or that can be men. No, that's not true at all. It's everybody. They start buying random stuff. They start buying courses. Increasing their expenses. Yeah. Per, and all this personal development stuff, going off to conferences and, and doing all of that. It's like I had my business for seven years and I didn't meet another human. You know, like the, yeah. these things aren't necessities to having a successful business they are 
luxuries. You do not need to do every single course. And if you are doing every single course, you have to really examine why, you know, what are you, are you trying to... What are you trying to avoid rather than just getting on with it? Avoid there's, there's a lot of lessons in just doing it yourself, of course. Exactly. And I've always done everything myself and it's been a slower route and I should have done a few courses. It's a bit silly of me, but, you know, also this kind of, I will be worthy when I have done X. I will be a real copywriter when I've done such and such's course or when I've read such and such's book. No, you won't. You'll be a real copywriter when a client has paid you to write their copy and they're happy. That's when you're a real copywriter. No amount of courses and books are going to make you a copywriter. You have to just decide, you know, it's, it's a decision. Um, so, you know, I've been very cautious with money and, and I think that's been important you know like not being cray with money and 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 also patience so it's a long time it's 12 years you know really yeah so and there's been a lot of ups and downs on that journey but the main thing that's kept me going is just keeping going turning up regardless you know Okay. Yep. No, great. Now I, the next question, I don't really know whether I'm, I'm going to ask it to you anyway. It's going to be a really interesting answer because I do think you're a bit of a lone wolf, but because this is a show about women in business, I like to talk about um, any other women that may have helped you along the way. Um, and I ask this question of anyone, are there any women that have been quite pivotal or have made a big difference to your business along the way that have supported you? Um, no, I mean, I, I think my, Boss at Ogilvy was was a woman, uh, a lady uh, called Sally Martin, and she was hugely inspirational to me. So right. this is, you know, my job, you know, to see somebody at such a senior level at Ogilvy, um, you know, and how rational and unemotional she was. You know, emotional, lovely, warm person, but she was very sentient and practical. And so I think she was uh, someone that I looked up to and admire. And you know, I think many a time I've gone, "What would Sally do over my career?" <laughs> In terms of the you know, my career path, you know, my mum and dad. So my mum, uh, you know, there's another yeah. woman, my, my dad as well have been super helpful in yeah. terms of like other women, you know, in the industry. I'm not really somebody that likes to look up to people. I more like to look to my side. So I, I, I do collect peers you yeah. know? and I've set up like that. I have a little, I have a little mini masterminds that I make on the fly. So, you know, I've got one little group with a lady called Lauren Bartley and Mel Sampson and um, Lyndall Harris um, you know, and, and other people like such as yourself and, and Rosie who runs virtually yours. So no one's really been a guiding light. And no, I wouldn't say anyone's massively helped me. No one's ever yeah. mentored me or took me under their wing. Quite the opposite. I'm more someone to take other people under their wing. But I'm very into the community of yeah. women and men. But I am also a huge fan of men. Yeah, same. same. I mean, I, I, we love the men that, that lift us up. But I think... You know, we can all recognise that women probably need a little bit more help. And the interesting thing to me was when you were saying that Sally was a big role model for you, even though she wasn't necessarily being overt. That's what the that's what the younger women need. They need to see that there's lots of us doing business and that it's worth giving, you know, jumping in. Yeah. So you talked about there's been lots of ups and downs along the way. Um, have there been any that stand out that really took you in a different direction? So any sort of, or any massive fuck ups basically, or challenges that have, you know, because even yesterday I had a, I had a bit of a traumatic thing with my TV show, not going to be on ticker TV. And then I went, hang on, but I could, I've actually, that's been holding me back in some ways from what I want to do. So, um, have you had any sort of moments like that where you feel like the bottom has dropped out of your world and then suddenly you go, actually, maybe I could turn this around? 
Well, I think there was, a, you know, about five or six years ago, I remember my husband hadn't done his, my husband then hadn't done his tax for a few years and suddenly we had this massive tax bill, which obviously I'm liable for. But then, and I was all lambasting him, going, you're terrible and terrible. And then I looked at my own tax and I'd underestimated as well. So we had this massive tax debt, but that nice. just spurred us on to do more. So that was a big financial worry. Other yeah. than that, honestly, no, because of this iterative approach, like I don't put myself, I don't overextend myself. I don't massively risk. This year obviously was big because yeah. I had international speaking gigs planned for the whole year to you know amsterdam the uk and oh no so this was your year of international speaking just yeah i did it last i did some last year but then this year i was it was going to be the year of uk it was i had a whole this i had done this great sid vicious punk poster of myself tune tour i was going to be speaking in birmingham manchester leeds it was all and then anyway so that all went down the toilet but again just like that i went the amount of energy and time and emotion and adrenals that goes into speaking and traveling the time yes. away from family. I've invested all that time back into my business and my business is so much better for it because yeah. the previous year I was away so much. My team was having to like cope for three weeks on their own. I was trying to run courses, but I wasn't really, I was in a flying and I was just exhausted. So, you know, it's actually been brilliant for me. It's sort of been a gift in a lot of ways, hasn't it? I mean, I know and I, and I totally acknowledge that there are people out there that are devastated. I mean, if you, you know, there's a woman who lives near me who's got um, a co-working, two co-working spaces and a bar. So everything there went just sort of like, oh, my God. But just to see how people are rising and how the people are coping is really interesting. I think it so, is the question of diversification and yeah. how far you diversify and where, you know, things could go, you know, like if suddenly the MBN was taken out, my business is done, you know. You just, yeah. and, and we don't know if, if Godzilla is not going to rise from the oceans next month. Don't say that. I'm the, I thought I was the only one thinking like that. <laughs> I was like, we're all online and all they need to do is go under the sea and cut the cable or push yeah. the satellite out the way and we'd all be stuffed. It is. And it's interesting. It raises questions around, especially again, I think it's a super important topic for women, like exit plans, you know, mm-hmm. supporting yourself in your old age, not relying on partners, having a buffer, you know, being financially secure. And it's something that we don't like talking about. We don't like thinking about the future and what's going to happen to us. And I think COVID has made a lot of us go, wow, we were living on the edge. We were one paycheck away from disaster. And how can we not be like that in future? You know, what do we have to sacrifice the second car, the holiday, the whatever, so that we have a a Security. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully people have learned. And obviously in Melbourne, we've now got people going into it the second time. And yet there are still businesses that said, uh, we won't go online on the first pandemic. We'll just ride it out. And now they're still not online. I mean, it's anyhow, they're, you know, each to their own. Okay, so talk to me about juggling work and life and having a young son and a relationship and two memberships and a busy business. Are you giving yourself, I know that you used to work yourself into the ground to an extent. Do you now kind of give yourself the weekend and evenings off? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always a period of growth. And I think that probably happened when my son was around four or five, which is not ideal, you know, but uh, in a way, slightly better because he was vaguely oblivious you know I think we kind of think our children are noticing what we're doing but at that age you know I really don't think they that you know they're fully aware of of 
you know, they've got dog memories to a degree. When you walk in the room, they're happy. And when you walk out, they forget. They forget you're there. (laughs) Whereas, you know, 11, my son is much more aware of, well, you said you'd finish at 3.30, you know, and it's 3.32. Not that he particularly wants to spend time with me, but he kind of does. It's a weird age. It's a weird age. So look, I have, I am in no way going to put myself forward as somebody who has the work-life balance because I don't think work-life balance exists. I think it's a lie that we've been sold, especially women, uh, that we can you know, be a great mom, cook great dinners, be a sexy partner, be fit, fit in our yoga pants and be entrepreneurs. It's, it's absolute bullshit. Something me. has to give. It's, it's, something has to give. Um, you can't have it all. You can have it all, but just not at the same time. Uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, and you can step it out. You can work really hard when they're younger, like you have, and then hopefully when he's at 17, 18 and, you know, maybe needs a bit more time with mum, although and in the same breath they may also go, don't actually need you now, it's my friends I need. That's what I found with them. Yeah, well, I think that's it. I mean, look, so I, in, in about five years ago, you know, I, I was putting everything into my business. I got very fat. I was very overweight, very ill. And, Hello, um, I'm here, Bash. <laughs> we've all been there, you know, huge, put on loads of weight and just was like, you know, every morning I'd be like, well, I could do this for myself, but what about the business? What about the business? You know, or, and you know, there's that whole notion that women have of having the burnt chop. You know, you always come last. You're always the one that's given, the, you take the burnt chop, you know, and everyone yeah. else gets. And, you know, I took that, I'm such a martyr and realizing that no one was noticing that and no one cared. You know, no one was patting me on the back for taking the burnt chop, you know, and I was making myself ill. So I have tried to reverse that. I don't work weekends uh, unless I want to, because sometimes it's quite pleasurable. Well, you're allowed to if you want to. Yeah, especially if it's thinking about new stuff. Yeah. And I hate working in the evening. I mean, I pretty much hate working after three. But every once in a while I have to do like a 6 p.m. call or whatever, because I've got people in the UK and Europe. But I really limit that to one night a week now. Um, You know, and... I feel like I work very, very hard, but I don't work long hours, if I'm honest. You know, I like to be, be a martyr and go, oh, I like it so hard. But really, it's, it's nine till three most days. Yeah, you know, great. I'm very intense when I do it. But, and I have made, especially, as I said, the last couple of years with traveling, with work, I took a lot of time away. And so, you know, but I am getting better. I think I'm getting better. Yeah, great. Now we get to the fun, quirky fact. Now, I know you're, well, I don't know whether you've got a new quirky fact, but... I loved your quirky fact. In fact, I have told so many people <laughs> that I know you because so tell everyone what the quirky, I don't know whether you what remember is it? Which the quirky one are you fact you did on the show, Big Red Chair. Oh, the Red Chair. Yeah, that was. And then you can tell me another one if you've got another one. Great. But let's yeah. t- tell them that story first because it's so, so good. Well, I, when I was about 24, I think, I went to see Graham Norton. You could go and see TV shows in the UK. It was a very cheap night out. You got free wine. Um, so we went and queued up for Graham Norton and we had to answer some daft questions. And I was pulled from the audience to be the first ever guest on the show from the audience, from which came the red chair where people get chucked off. And I was sat on the sofa with Kylie Minogue and a, a, a weather weather forecaster in the UK who was very famous then called Ian McCaskill and um, you can watch the video of it on my website it's mortifying but um, Graham Norton told me I was chat show gold oh brilliant you know it was pretty cool um so yeah that's that's quirky fact I mean you know I think I try and be quirky all the time really I don't know if I'm quirky I've, I've, I've you know I'm not you know I'm not sitting here in an office I don't have a team I don't I'm not particularly corporate um, and I don't have a business plan. I've never had investors, a mentor. So, you know, I think, do think I kind of tread my own path. It's quite funny. Uh, TAFE New South Wales uh, are coming, I want to in, wanted to interview me for their new series of women in business. 
Yeah. And um, we arranged it, and I, and I, I said, where they live, and I have an office, a fake office in the Sydney, which is just an address, you know, a virtual. Right. And they said, oh, are we interviewing you there? And I was like, oh, no, that's not real. I live in New Minor, and I, my business is run out of a shed in my back garden. <laughs> and they were like, oh, cool. That's really cool. But I'm like, I wonder when they get here if they're going to go, what the actual? Because I wouldn't think that people would think that I do what I do from here. I put a post up on LinkedIn recently, which is quite a brave post saying what I'd earned in July. Yes, quite, I saw that. And what, uh, what I'd need, I, I, it was what I'd earned to that point and it actually went over that. And I wanted to do that because I don't know if many people take, I don't take myself that seriously. And I sometimes wonder if that comes across and you wouldn't believe the response that got. I thought I'd have some negativity, but I didn't. I did word it quite carefully in terms of not being boastful and understanding that it maybe it was a little tone deaf given covid but i also wanted to say this is what you can achieve in your pants in your that's how i took it i took it as as this is in let me inspire you if i've done it you can do it yeah but the number of people and again sweeping generalization but especially men who've since then reached out and gone i didn't realize you were such a baller and i'm like yeah, i'm not yeah, a baller right. I'm, a, I'm a labia but anyway, <laughs> i'm a vulva i'm a vulva <laughs> But, you know, some people, you know, people who've now approached me and gone, hey, I wonder if you'd be interested in this new software that we're launching or have you thought about doing a, a, vo- a joint venture? No, no, go away. No. But the yeah. number of people who've kind of gone, oh, OK, I'll take a bit seriously now. And it's like that's been going on for years just because yeah. I don't wave my willy around all the time and show off about it. Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's not happening and doesn't mean that you can't be a bit scruffy and disorganized and quirky and funny and have fun with your business, but be very serious about helping people and making money. And so, yeah, yeah it's a, uh... I thought that was a brilliant post actually, because I don't think anyone does it. And the other thing I thought was really good was this is the number that I've earned, but let me tell you about all the things that are going to come out of it. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that everyone goes, well, I want to earn 200,000 a month or close to it. And then you go, well, you might have about $150,000 worth of expenses that are going to come out of it. Well, this is it. So, you know, I think it was, a, I put something like 180 revenue and then my net profit was 150, which is actually very high in terms of net yeah, profit. But there's a lot of people like, you know, a lot of people going on saying, oh, I earned 300K this month. And then you find out that it cost them 250K to earn the three. By the time they paid for their office, paid for the staff, and paid for sixty grand a month of Facebook ads or Google ads, and it's like, yeah. wouldn't you rather earn a hundred grand but keep eighty of it than earn three hundred grand and keep sixty of it? I don't know. Absolutely, and have all those other things to worry about. And the other thing is, of course, you're not chasing that glamour lifestyle because that in that in, if you all you need to do is go a little bit down that path. And that money would start being whittled away very, very easily rather than doing its hard work in your bank account. Yes, exactly. I mean, look, I like a, I like a nice hotel. I like a nice, you know, me and you. We like a like, nice glass of wine. But honestly, Aldi wine's good enough for me. I'm a pleb. So, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's- I kind of liked that that really naff idea of you can take a wine and stick it into um, soda stream and turn it into bubbles. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Yes. You know. Um, okay. Now, last couple of questions. You are such a fun person to talk to. Um, I'm obsessed with my phone, so I don't know whether you are or you're not, but I love my iPhone and all the apps. So my questions are around apps. Are there two useful apps that you use for business on your phone that you can share with us outside of social and banks? Because I think I'm assuming a lot. Well, you can tell me if it's social. I do all. I do everything on my phone. 
I do all the socials. I love zero on my phone and just oh, being able to reconcile because it's very, you can just swipe to reconcile, yeah. which I can do when I'm walking the dog and receipt bank. I love because I can yeah. screenshot my um, receipts. I like, uh, uh, there's a couple of, I love Facetune. So just tuning up my little photos. Yes, a little, I've got that one. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but, and then Canva, I use Canva on my phone and I do a lot of the prep for the Canva graphics on desktop so that they're ready to go because I'm somebody that likes to post socially whenever I feel like it, yeah. not have a plan. And I just recently got Agora Pulse, which is my social media scheduling tool. Oh, Agora Pulse, is that any good? It is, it's expensive. But what I love about it is the multi-channel posting. So I've got probably... 25 different social media properties if you count the different businesses and the whatever and I can post across all of them tailor the message tailor the link change the hashtags and I can do it mostly from my phone it's a bit clunky the thing that I've just discovered on my iPhone which has changed my life and it's literally yesterday and you're going to think I'm a complete noob is I didn't realize that you can do such brilliant dictation on your phone so Facebook when I'm doing comments if it's just a quick thank you great but I've got big fat thumbs and the number of times I'm just like oh god this is taking me my life to tap this out I just now yesterday spent the day just talking to my phone and it, the dictation is perfect with no typos really yeah like whole paragraph it's just that little microphone that's yeah. beside the message thing isn't it yeah, <laughs> I saw a post like last week about it. Don't get confused between recording voice messages because that's what I thought it was for. No, at the bottom near your keyboard, in the bottom right, there's a little microphone. You click on it and then you talk and it's pretty good. You might have to go back and change a few little things. but, But it's not bad. And you've got to have Siri on, I think, to do that as well, don't you? I don't know. I didn't use Siri. I didn't use Siri. I don't know. I, I had the hilarious thing with Wendy Squires, who's a really well-known and, and very well-respected journalist, who didn't know you could do folders on your phone and didn't know you could search and sadly didn't know on Daily Mail there was anything other than the homepage. So I was like, see along the bottom? You can go, even though it's a hideous newspaper, I still can't help myself. And I was able to tell her, she was like, oh my God, you've changed my life. I know. Oh, the other one that I love on phone, I both two ones, which are more organizational ones, are Slack and Asana. So that's how yeah. I manage my business. So I, Slack is great on my phone. I don't actually have email on my phone because it stresses Ooh, me Ooh, that's uh, controversial. Yeah, because I, you know, I do like to be able to, I find emails quite triggering. I don't know why, because they they turn you from you know, doing what you want to do in turn and then to doing what someone else wants you to do, you become reactive rather than active. So interesting. And also with my team, which are my priority and my members, my team communicate with me via Slack and my members generally communicate with me via my communities. So as long as I've got Facebook, which can be a horrible time suck and Slack, then the odd email that comes through, they can wait. And you haven't gone on to TikTok? I have got TikTok soon. That will be gone. So I'm, I'm investigating Real, which is the alternative, I think. Uh, okay. Um, but, you know. Uh, and what about games? Are you a game player? Like, I'm sad to say I'm on level 10,000 or something of Candy Crush. Uh, I've got a couple that I uh, that I kind of play. but <laughs> Not even Words with Friends? No. Oh, I would have thought you were that girl. Uh, no, I just, they just eat too much of my time. I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather watch, watch a show on Netflix or read a book, you know. And I've lost hours to games like bubble bubble and i just took them off <laughs> i took tiktok off as well because tiktok you can be on it and think you've been on it for seven minutes and you've been on it for an hour it's very that's crazy the best thing about um the best thing that i think about candy crush is you can only have five goes and then it kicks you off for two hours See, good 
So that's kind of why I like it, because it contains it rather than spending hours and hours doing it. But anyway, Kate, it has just been such a fantastic chat with you. Thank you so much. You're so generous as well with all your advice. So I really, really appreciate it. And what a story. So uh, I can't wait to share this for everyone to hear it. But tell everyone just if they wanted to get hold of you, is it just Kate Toon or the SEO things via social is the best way? Yeah, Kate, katetoon.com is kind of my hub site where you can find all my various bits and bobs. So, All right, brilliant. Thank you so much. Hurrah! I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. You could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. Go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.